Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over 200 different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Welcome back to the Centered in the City podcast. Today's conversation is very much of a heart-opening and mind-opening conversation. So I welcome you to really pay attention to how do you feel while you're listening to some of the shit we talk about. We talk about trauma, we talk about racism, anti-racism, white supremacy. So some heavy topics of how we can bring our mindfulness practice to the sufferings that we as humans experience in this world. I'm so honored to have Aiko Smith be our guest today, who is a two times TEDx speaker. She is also a mindfulness facilitator through UCLA, Samuel Institute of Neuroscience and Human Behavior. We are graduation buddies. I knew Aiko would be the perfect guest to have these hard conversations because she is so passionate based on her experience of navigating systems of poverty and racism to give unique perspectives of what individuals and communities require to achieve wellness. Aiko's life mission is to teach evidence-based mindfulness practices and tools for daily life as an integral part of cultivating an awareness that dismantles internal and external systems of harm. Ah, feels like my heart just explodes hearing that, knowing that. So you're going to learn so much from this episode. So let's settle in and let's get centered. Aiko, welcome to the Center and City podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I want to begin with one of my favorite questions. And even though I've asked a lot of guests this, it's so fun to hear what comes up for people. What right now in this phase of your life are certain practices that you're committing to on a daily or daily-ish basis that you know really keep you centered? Oh, I meant... Self-care is everything. That's what I preach. I feel like that's the opening door to all practices, having that time alone. And in this season of my life, my nighttime self-care routine is just being in water. And um, I've been, I met my kids are like, are you okay? (laughs) Why are you in the bathtub so much? But it's just feels like a space that's safe and nourishing and warm and just being in that flow space. I feel like I get great ideas. I get a lot of clarity and just feeling more like light and fresh and like I'm really taking care of myself. So 
my bath time at night is part of my ritual that's been really grounding and nourishing for me. Mm. Yeah. Can you give us some more context? Like, do you like bubble bath or Epsom salts or do you like candles or do you keep it super minimalist or like bring a book in? I have a book. I like my bathroom has become my sanctuary. I even moved like a chair in there. (laughs) So like I have like this, you know, um, like an armchair in my bathroom, my bathroom's small. It doesn't deserve it, but there's a, there's an armchair in there. So like I'll turn my bath on. I'll put bubbles in there. I have uh, Palo Santo and candles and I'll just like make it smell like lovely. And while my bath is running, I'll sit in that chair and like listen to the water run and like have this kind of like aromatherapy moment just while, and just kind of grounding there. I get kind of like, am I in freeze mode? Because I'll get really still and um, the bath will fill up and I'll kind of, it's, I don't know if it's being mindful or mindless, but that time guys goes really fast, you know, usually takes like 15 minutes, but it feels like a second or two. And um, just grounding into that space of just doing nothing and allowing my brain to just rest without planning, without, I'm not like re- rehashing what happened in the day. I'm not doing any of that. I'm just kind of like allowing myself the time to sit and do nothing. And it feels like a great space to enter a bathtub in. Like now I'm like really going deep now. I'm in warm water. I'm a, what, what's, I'm just like filled with like just peace and grounded. I'm grounded in the moment and all my senses are being used to just help me just be centered there. So it feels just like rejuvenating rejuvenating after a long day of, you know, the hustle and bustle, kids, work, all of that. It's really just like a refuge. Yeah. It's interesting. I hear a lot of moms use the bathroom as their sacred space. (laughs) And it makes sense because reflecting back when, you know, growing up, my mom was a huge bath person and she too would just like settle in the bathtub. She would bring her newspapers and just read and be there from like 11 to 1230 at night. Like she would just like love that sacred quiet space. So it's so interesting to hear you'd like have your chair, you create this whole atmosphere for yourself. And I love it within the Central City platform, I have a bubble bath meditation and practice because I think there is that sense of slowing down, like hearing the water uh, start to fill the bath. Like what does that do to even our senses? Because Mm -hmm. water and that waterfall sound can be so healing for a lot of us. And yeah, to connect to the smells if you add essential oils in. And so I love that it sounds like you have that practice for yourself. Yeah, it used to be the opposite. Um, I used to wake up really early, like 5 a.m. club. It was a little bit of performative stuff, to be honest with you, because I wanted to like make sure that I got my workout in and my meditation in and like plan my meals and like do all of that. I was There wasn't a lot of compassion for me in that space. It was more like, check it off the list, check it off the list. And now I feel good because I got that done. But not not in this kind of soul nourishing grounded connected way that really is 
rejuvenating, regenerating, that gives me the energy to go forward. I would do that little morning routine and then need a nap, you know, and it would be hard to go on with my day because I'd be like exhausted from like running three miles and doing that. I mean, I look great, you know, Um, but I didn't feel too good. So Mm. now as I'm getting older, that's more important to me. Thank you for calling that out because I think there is so much performativeness around having to have the perfect morning routine and fitting it all in. And to differentiate for yourself and hopefully for listeners of like what feels like it's something to be checked off on a list and what is maybe filling that superficial need and what's actually filling that soulful deep rooted sense of like filling your cup up, which I'm hearing you're slowing down, uh, with, with the nighttime routine really helps you slow down to, to do. I want to talk about, you know, it sounds like, you know, as you're recognizing, you mentioned the word, like as the bath is filling, I'm like questioning, am I in a free state when I'm listening to the water? And then you notice like, ah, you get into the bath and it sounds like, it just melts off of your body, whatever you notice you're holding. And you and I have talked about being meditation teachers, you know, trauma sensitive mindfulness work. And if you use that lens, like what do you feel like is happening inside of your body as you're noticing like the sense of freeze or holding on to in the day and then this like permission to maybe let go or something as you get into the bath? Yeah. Um, I grew up really poor, you know, a mixed race woman. I'm black and Japanese. I grew up in a majority white space with an immigrant mother. And my community was beautiful and lovely and caring and compassionate towards me. And I was really fortunate to have really good friends that are still my friends today um, help me um, throughout that time in my life. But um, regardless of how much help I had growing up, Um, there was still a sense of uh, unworthiness that comes from just not being like nurtured and cared for and not to blame my mother, you know, because she was working hard. She needed to have multiple jobs. She didn't speak English and she had three little black girls on her own, like in LA, she was hustling. And so um, not to blame her for her absence, but just not having a parent be around when you come home from school or, or to help you with your homework and then feeling, you know, shame about the way that we were presented, like we looked poor, we didn't have furniture, um, people feeling sorry for us and having that, that energy of pity kind of shaped my lens um, in a way that made me feel like I wasn't worth anything like the the signs of unworthiness were kind of just reflected in my environment from just like having to use a meal ticket to buy um lunch at school or not having a regular doctor um or just little things like that that I was seeing my friends like this kind of normal traditional middle class way of living and then not meeting that standard um you those kinds of messages just become like an inherited sense of self. And so like, I think that I'm still battling that worthiness and it shows up all the time, just being in spaces like corporate spaces, spaces where people are still making a lot of money or dress, you know, just there's a lot of things that are kind of 
triggering that sense of like this unworthiness from growing up in poverty or growing up not being nurtured. And so throughout the day, I'm aware now because of my practice, like, oh, that's old, old, you know, thoughts and noises and limiting beliefs that are still there. Um, and they do still have an effect on how I feel about myself and how I'm moving around like the space I'm in because I'm trying to elevate into different spaces. And so now I'm dealing with different people. It, it always kind of feels uncomfortable. And so I think when I give myself permission to like, I get in the bath, you know, I turn the water on, I shut the door and I sit there. It's kind of like letting all of that kind of settle down a little bit like snow in the snow globe now I'm sitting there and all of that that has been swirling around like throughout the day gets an opportunity to just settle and I think that's what that freezes like I'm just kind of like not having to like think and maneuver around any of those systems and what I was going through and just kind of just letting it you know just settle down and so I don't know if I, 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 I'm aware of it happening, but it's like, I'm kind of just still, <laughs> you know, they always say like, if you don't know what to do, don't do anything at all. And it kind of feels like one of those moments where just like literally and figuratively taking off like the layers of the day and just settling in and really connecting with just who I truly am, which is the breath of this body, just, you know, just the vessel. And so that's what I believe it is. But like I said, I don't know much. <laughs> I'm still just figuring it all out for myself too. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing some of your story and the layers and the conditioning and the societal and like white supremacy layers that are what you grew up in, what you continue to live in and to notice all of those layers kind of melt away when you sit in the bath and just give yourself, it sounds like permission to just breathe and be. And maybe I'm just offering this in case this resonates, but you tell me of maybe it's not freeze that's happening for you. Maybe it's a sense of just like equanimity, like that sense maybe, of yeah. observing. Cause it, it sounds like you're very present to it all and not in like a shutdown phase. Yeah. But it sounds like you're observing it all, but just not reacting to it or picking it up. Yeah, it's Is really, that uh, yeah, that makes sense. And it's really hard for me to differentiate, you know, um, having like apathy, because, you know, just for example, like I said, I grew up in all white spaces and not to fault my class, my classmates or my peers for just not having language or the ignorance, just not knowing about um, things being said to me, the way they felt, um, just kind of like those microaggressions throughout the day, like you kind of have to build up this wall, you know, to protect your heart from being hurt all the time. And so like people, I get it all the time, like, where you don't, you're always in a good mood and you're, you know, you're always so funny or you're always so this, or you always, you know, you're light and you're airy and you're grounded. And it's like, or I might just be completely <laughs> not here, you know, just like I'm gone and my body's here and maybe that's why you feel like a sense of calm because I'm just like shutdown mode. So like the line is really thin for me between like being apathetic and being neutral. Like I'm still like, hmm, am I here? Am I not here? Am I in this moment or am I guarding myself? It's yeah. very 
it's tricky to tell. That's, um, I really appreciate you discerning that for us and for yourself of, of just recognizing how you've had to protect yourself, how you have had to create some, some walls and kind of put on a energetic face from the outside, but it sounds like inside just noticing you're navigating bigger emotions or different emotions that you, then you feel like you are able to actually express on the outside. And so to pay attention, is it apathy or is it neutral and practicing equanimity, I think is a really interesting like question uh, mm -hmm. to sit with. How do you feel like your mindfulness practice, you know, being obviously a meditation teacher, walking the talk, like how do you feel like your own practice has supported you exploring your trauma of growing up in poverty, the trauma of being a black Japanese woman in white supremacist culture of America? Like how do you use your mindfulness practice to support you? Yeah, I think it's a remembering and an acceptance that, you know, we all don't choose to be born where we are. We don't choose our parents. And we really are like a reflection of the people that are around us and the soup that we're kind of cooked in, you know? And so I don't, it's my mindfulness practice has always kind of brought me back to that point in remembering. So I'm not triggered by, you know, um, racism, you know, obviously it's triggering, but it's not, it doesn't affect me. It's this kind of neutral view I have on it because there's no, hatred or blame, I, I don't feel towards people that are kind of displaying that ignorance. I kind of think of it as like, we're all socialized that way. And um, it's an unlearning that has to happen. And so if you don't have anybody in your environment to challenge your thinking, which is really, you'd have to seek that, um, you're going to think and think and behave that way. You're, we're socialized here in this country. We have white supremacists, you know, born into it. This is a country from like born slavery. It's just generational. So it's my mindfulness practice always helps me remember that. So I don't have like a lot of animosity or uh, resentfulness about people that are displaying those behaviors and just being in this body, being a woman, mixed race, grew up poor. Um, it helps me have an open, kind heart um, towards everybody because just like I grew up in these circumstances and I was socialized to think and feel this way. So are others. And it's only through our suffering, I believe, in like really being intentional about healing that, do you grow the compassion and space to be aware of others um, and how they grew up and, you know, why they think they do and um, just not taking it personal, not taking it personal. And then also, having tools to deal with the emotional reactivity. Um, I used to be an angry little <laughs> middle school girl that like just had it like this, you know, just I, for no reason, not for no reason at the time, I couldn't answer why, you know. Now I know it's because I was just wanting attention. I needed to be seen and heard and loved. And that just wasn't there because of the conditions. And so um, just even having compassion for my former selves, um, my younger self, um, helps me today just be more aware and conscious of my, me, how I'm feeling and others around me. 
Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Oh God, there's so much I want to unpack in, in what you just shared. And to just share even personally using my mindfulness practice, like right now I can notice like I'm feeling nervous and anxious about having this conversation because my white guilt comes up and my sense of discomfort and, and fear of creating harm shows up. And so just even like noticing what's happening in my own body and being able to name it and use my mindfulness practice to name it is really helpful to just even like have that sense of awareness of the filters that I'm entering this conversation with. So I just wanted to name that for listeners as, as we're navigating to be fully transparent and you know, to circle back to what you just beautifully shared around having that sense of compassion for not only yourself, but it sounds like for what's just like how people, that sense of understanding of like the, the biases that people hold, there's that sense of compassion for them. doesn't make it right for them to not necessarily like challenge and be open to thinking about how other people are growing up within systems that are affecting uh, and challenging their own beliefs, you know, to be able to challenge those implicit biases that we all have. But I also am hearing that sense of care that you have for just suffering, right? The suffering that we all have. And I'm curious, like when you talk about your mindfulness practice, how do you connect that with this deep mission you have around non-harm? Yeah, I think the first step in any process is awareness, you know, and I feel like people have no awareness that they, them too, they are suffering. Um, anxiety is suffering, depression is suffering, stress is suffering, um, having um, interpersonal relationship issues, that's suffering. There's a lot of suffering and it doesn't matter what race, gender, age, you know, everybody is suffering. And I feel like we're all trying to align with some kind of perfection and so when we're not like meeting those standards of perfection that I believe are just, you know, like come from supremacy culture, wanting to be the best, needing to be the best, and that being the only way to feel like seen, heard, loved, respected, that everybody's suffering. And so I really do, that's why I'm like so big on self-care is because if you're using your mindfulness, which is, I think, the tool to gain this self-awareness and you're sitting and you could really connect with what it really means to like the pain of just anxiety, for example, it is painful <laughs> to be anxious, you know? And once you really are not pushing that away and you're really able to like recognize it in yourself and like being like, like you're a baby still, like you still are like, you're that little baby you. And it's like, oh, like you're doing that to your brain all day. Like, aren't you tired? Like that kind of compassion for yourself. Like, let me let this up somehow. Like that connects you with other people. Then you could recognize it in other people just so much easier if you let yourself get there. And so my mission 
you know, I don't want to get in the weeds here, you know, about this anti-racism journey. It always starts at awareness, one of your own suffering. And then I think that grows the space to allow um, recognition of other people's suffering. And then maybe when you take care of yourself well enough, you have the energy, the energy to take care of others. And so I think that for me, that's foundational. That's where I start other teachers. They take it to the finish line. But I think it's like when I'm working at the intersections of anti-racism and mindfulness, that's where I'm starting. Like, where are you suffering and how can we heal you? You know, how can we get a sense of healing and get tools? Um, so you suffer less so you can care about others more. Yeah. I love that. So that place of awareness, so growing our capacity to, to just have awareness of our suffering or what are the stories that we're telling ourselves or what are the just even awareness of the systems we're living in. So just having the the layers of context of awareness and that takes time, right, to build. Yeah, plenty of times. And I think like it's like an onion, like mm -hmm. just becoming a mother, you know, um, being I was a single mom at one point I am again um but like just like watching another mom with a newborn baby like with all her bags or like trying to find daycare or like just trying to do the things that moms have to do make dinner do like and you're seeing if you see a woman or whoever parenting like you could feel like oh I've been through that you know mm. I know what that's like and do you need me to hold that bag while you try to put the baby or I'll watch your, you know, like you, it's a natural, it's a natural thing. And that's why they say it's like studied that like poor people are more giving. Mm. I understand what it poor means. Like if I got $20 and my friend needs 10, it's like, well, I've needed 10 bucks before. And what's this little $20? Like I'm giving half away. And that's like, that's how our communities take care of each other because we understand what we, we relate to the suffering. Mm. So this this guise of perfection really does prevent us from being for each other with each other and helping each other more so authenticity is huge for me you know Oof, that hits so deep your what you just shared there and i have heard in some of my anti-racism work that i've done in the past how perfectionism is tied to white supremacy yes. and that has like been like a pondering that I've I've stayed with and you just kind of unlock something for me there of just the sense of like constriction that white supremacist culture has that sense of needing to kind of like hoard and hold on to and like make sure we hold the best quote unquote whatever that is so like hold that $20 you know because like mm -hmm. we're going to use that for like the perfect thing and what I hear you sharing around, like, what if we could all untangle from that and tap into more of that compassionate space where the $20 can actually create more abundance when we share it mm -hmm. than if one person was just to hold on to it. Yeah. yeah. It's like a, that hierarchy, right? That, and this is why, like, I, it's difficult to have conversations about white supremacy because I think we're all talking about it. Um, and the language that we're using is a little different or might be different. So like, just for instance, I, I, I have friends, I'm friends with all kinds of folks, right? I have Trumper friends that I went to school with, like, honestly, um, that I've grown up with. I don't really understand like what their, you know, 
what the appeal is to this man and whatever, because I don't, that's not my concern. My concern is my friend and her heart and, you know, and how she shows up for her family and friends. But the language that we use is different. When I say white supremacy, there's like this automatic guilt and defensiveness that comes from, from her when I say that, because this it's nuanced. White is, we're not talking about white people. We're talking about this system, this way of thinking, this ideology that all people, does, regardless of race, can have. Kanye, Kanye West is a white supremacist, meaning that like he really does believe like if you're white, that means that you're at the top of this hierarchy and it makes you better. And so we're performing to get to the top because that's what white supremacy says that where we should be instead of like this it's an ideology and it's an idea. It's not about race. It's not about color. Um, so even just having that conversation, we need to have the language because it's so nuanced. So we could have ears open instead of like this guilt and shame. And like, I don't hear you anymore because I feel like you're talking about my people. It's the same thing when we talk about the patriarchy or toxic masculinity. If you're a woman, you identify as a woman, you could still have that energy of like male dominating. That's where, that's the way it should go. And all your behavior could kind of line up with that. So it's um, difficult. And so I just love keeping it simple. Like we were talking about earlier, like, let's just stick with the suffering your own and what's really um, and dealing with that and then see how the world around you kind of shapes afterwards because it changes like we all do. And so mindfulness helps us have that beginner's mind. It trains our mind like we're to let go of what we think things are and really to see what they are truly. And so I think it's the beginning of any anti-racism journey. And I think that's where everybody should start if they're concerned with being a good ally, being out there, like you have to know your own suffering first and get it out of the way, you know? So you could do this important work of showing up for others. Like nobody wants tears, that's what they say, but it's necessary, you know? Like yeah. to learn the way people have been suffering. It's sad, my, my, like, it's like walking down the street and then seeing homeless people. And then it's like, well, don't be sad about that. Well, like it's their suffering and it breaks my heart, you know? And so this whole anti-racism journey, I think like has been really like tricky for white folks, you know, they're, oh, yeah. you know, we're not allowed, I mean, white folks have been like discouraged from being emotional about it. It is emotional. You're still a human. Um, yeah, you should cry. You know what I mean? Like it's sad. Um, but I think like it's, I, I you know, I, I just have compassion for everybody going through the journey, even like I had to, I had my own anti-blackness that I had to unlearn as well. Mm -hmm. We're mm -hmm. all, we're actually all doing the same kind of work here. And so. Yeah. I appreciate you, you know, sharing that and that we all are coming at this journey from different angles and from different experiences and backgrounds. And, you know, you mentioned like white supremacy is not just like white people, like it's this concept, it's this structure. And I think it's also just important within that awareness lens to recognize like, yeah, the color of our skin, being a white person, like can also give us a pass into so much access in our culture that we might not be aware of. And 
when we can bring awareness to that power that can be held for me, that has actually been part of my practice of recognizing the suffering. Like have, where have I had power over others that I didn't realize? Mm. And, um, and where did that create harm? And, you know, where did that, um, or not, where did that not create space for someone to fully be seen or heard? Because like, that's one of my missions in life is to help everybody feel seen and heard. And so when we don't look at all those layers or when I don't look at all those layers and bring awareness to it, I recognize how I can really cut a lot of people out from being fully seen. Yeah. I met, you know, Maisha T. Hill, my friend at Check Your Privilege. Um, she has this book, uh, Heal Your Way Forward. And I think that's a great, you know, book that combines like these practices and then um, anti-racism, like the journey, you know, I, I always do a lot of teaching in her community and I spoke at a, her conference, but I really love this humanizing that we're doing or the work that she's doing um, because it, whatever is happening right now is not working, you know, this cancel culture, you know, this, you say one thing wrong and then you're out the door and, you know, like all that nonsense. It's like, you know, like, let's not forget we're all human here, stepping in it all the time, every day. And everybody's literally trying their best, no matter who they are, but their best um, might be cooked in a different soup than yours, you know? Even those like people that I'm like totally side-eyeing all the time, like these anti-abortion people, these people making like these anti-trans laws and, you know, making it harder for black and brown folks to vote with their redlining and all this garbage. <laughs> I always think like, you know, and this isn't an excuse for their behavior at all, but um, even they are trying to do the best that they can do. Um, with their limited knowledge of how we all like can be seen, heard, um, loved and cared for in their minds, they're trying to be good, you know? And so I could, um, I don't agree. And I think it's really harmful for a lot of folks, but I could recognize like there is like, there's like, there's a little goodness in there for them and what they think and just humanizing those folks they're not monsters. <laughs> They're not any of that. I don't think it's helpful for us to, um, to go about life that way. It's kind of very Martin Luther Kingy, right? But I, I just, anarchy, yeah. yeah, I was just about to say, like, it's, it's showering them with love, not more hate, even though the policies and their practices are disgusting and toxic and harmful to not like to shower them with love and compassion and care and hope that they kind of like that phrase, like kill them with kindness, right? Even though we don't want to kill them. Like, it's just that sense of like, if we want to create and feel our humanness, our oneness, we get to recognize that sense of connection within each other. And, you know, political divisiveness, there's just so much divide of them versus us, us versus them, Democrats, Republicans, you know, and that just creates more divide in our country. And I get there's so much hate and harm, but it's just like, like what, what's the path forward? 
it's like, I always just try to treat everybody. That's why I love mindfulness so much and talking about like our own individual suffering. Like, first of all, mind your business, right? Like, like, what do I care about what's happening over here and over there when I'm worried about paying my light bill or like being anxious about my kid going through that, like, mind your business, you know, and uh, like treat everybody as human, you know, and like, I could Obviously, I do not agree, but I could recognize the humanity in somebody and I could recognize that they have families that in their limited views are trying to protect and I could appreciate that and then also keep my like neutral distance so I'm not harming myself and just wishing them well and but like no one learns by getting screamed at. No one learns by um, getting like preached to when they don't want to hear it. Like we learn from each other by watching change behavior and then looking at outcomes. Like that's how humans are. It's not about what you say, it's about what you do. And so like, I just do right and treat everybody. Like Ico means love. That's my handle on Instagram, but it's true. Like it really does. And so like, that's my work just making everybody that I encounter feel like they're seen, that they're heard, and that like I care for them, period, regardless of whatever kind of harm you're causing, like you're only getting love from me and peace. That's it. And no energy. I stand for things like not against them, you know, Mm. focus this way. That's what practice does for you. Focus on the good. Yeah. And, you know, just to emphasize, like, I think in the wellness world, we can kind of have this like peace and love everybody. Right. And, and that sense of that's not really moving the needle forward and that there needs to be some like, um, we just can't like, you know, you see this on social media, like prayers and love isn't enough. Right. Right. And so that combination, I think of what you're sharing just adding a huge asterisk to that because an end an exclamation mark of like yes prayers and love and standing for something and that action that you're talking about like standing for what matters to you and sending that compassion and care to self and others yeah i think yeah that's what they say right like your energy flows where your attention goes like why would i give any of that like any of my energy like when i don't I don't want that. Like what I want is equity and inclusion and belonging and everybody to feel a sense of wellness so they could show up fully and live up to their fullest potential. So like all my energy is there, not to say that like people calling out and, you know, bringing like the heat and the fire is not necessary. It is, you know, it completely is. That's for me personally, that's just not my lane. And so I think everybody needs to, whatever their passions are that are just authentic within you, like this podcast and you being a teacher yourself, like this is your lane. This is how you can contribute. And that's, that's what you do. And so same goes for me. This is, this is what, this is how I can contribute to like a loving, more connected future where we care about inclusiveness and belonging. So Pick a lane and then fill it with love. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what a beautiful way to bring our conversation to a close. Aiko, where can people learn more about you and your work? Sure. Um, I am the community director at Net Women, where, um, yes, honey, where we gather uh, multiple times a month, like female leaders from around the globe 
where we exchange ideas about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And then we all have businesses and we're thought leaders and just mingling with each other. Um, so netwomen.co, I'm there. Um, Ico means love on Instagram and Facebook. And then Ico May Smith on LinkedIn. I'm just everywhere, so. <laughs> and how lucky are we? Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Centered in the City. I welcome you to pause with me here and just check in with yourself. And I welcome you to just bring awareness to your own mind and body and notice if there's any suffering present. And suffering can mean many things. It can mean feelings of anxiousness. It can mean feelings of discomfort, stress, lingering emotions or big emotions, heartbreak, heartache, guilt, shame, whatever it may be. And may you offer yourself a moment of compassion for that suffering that's present. May I be unconditionally kind to myself. May I know that I'm just human, that this is a human experience. May I know other people just like me have these similar or same experiences. May I give myself the compassion and care I need. I welcome you to join Aiko and I on Instagram and continue the conversation of offering lots of love and care for ourselves and each other as we continue to dismantle the harm that's created internally and externally. Thanks for being here as always. Mm -hmm.